Hello, everyone, and welcome to Horror Craft with Cassandra and Bubbles, your favorite twosome on the internet. That sounded really hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, today we are talking Lost in the Locker, the early two thousands. Well, um, two thousand to two thousand ten. These movies we feel are underrated, and we definitely have some opinions about them. So. Before we get into this, I'm going to put a massive spoiler alert. So if you are not comfortable hearing certain contents of the movies of movies we're discussing, um, we will not be offended if you skip this episode. And just know that this is our personal opinion. Um, like you say. Um, in the horror community, I feel like a lot of these are still very much, you know, they're out there and people are watching them. But like to the average bear... They might not know about them or they might have overlooked them. Yeah. So this might not be necessarily what's on your list, but this is our list and it's our podcast. So let's get into it. Hello, everyone. We are back. And um, if you're hearing this noise... Um, that sounded really weird too. But anyways, we went from having a demonic doll to a crazy cracked out Furby to now a chair that needs an exorcism. So send holy water if you the can. The power of Christ compels you. The power of couch compels you. Oh my God. <laughs> but anyways, let's get into some of these remakes. Now, if you have not seen some of these films... I and you want to watch them without spoilers, please skip over this section of the video. I mean, the recording. Um, we are going to be talking about 13 Ghosts, House of Wax, My Bloody Valentine, When a Stranger Calls, Friday the 13th, Black Christmas, and Hannibal Rising, The Fog, and Prom Night. So we will not be offended if you skip over this section. But let's get into it. So 13 Ghosts is a remake. A lot of people don't know that, but it is a remake. It is um, from Dark Castle, which was remaking director William Castle's uh, famous movies at the time, which 13 Ghosts featured um, kind of like the 3D glasses you used to get in the B-movie theaters in like the 50s and 60s. Um, from going to the actual goggle... Like glasses. That they're almost safety glasses. That, yeah, they're like trying to keep safe while watching the ghosts. You know, working that nine to five. So, but 13 Ghosts was definitely ahead of its time. It's getting more love now, but it's definitely uh, ahead of its time. Um, it was a really intense movie. Like the first few minutes, you have all these people dying. They're getting effed up. And then you get the man who's literally cut in half yes. with the glass, and you see his brain. It was ahead of its time, though, in the fact of the character development. Like, I have to give it up to um, the character development they did in that, because coming up with a black Zodiac is one thing, but coming up with backstories for all of them, and I know that there are videos online floating around about the backstories behind them, but, and I know, I think it was the DVD. When the DVD came out, it had like a bonus feature telling you all about it. But that has to be time consuming. Like you're already making 
a movie and then you have to come up with individual backstories for 12 other characters on top of the ongoing story you had. And 13 Ghosts does have a lot of twists and turns. I mean, it might not, it's very fast paced and kind of in your face, but it's a great movie. So I definitely think it's underrated and I'm glad to see that with like the re-release of Scream Factory that it's getting more love. House of Wax is another one. I, I think I've said this before, but I think a lot of people don't like this movie because of Paris Hilton being in it. I like Paris Hilton. I know I'm in the minority from what I've seen from other horror films like when she was in Repo. Yeah. Um, I think she's great. Me I, too. I mean, people have to understand that that's the character that she was made to play. And she had fun with it. I remember watching like a show of hers and she was talking about how they had to like do the effects for her death and that she was pretty into it. So I think she does a, uh, a good job at that. Um, and I know they had a lot of stars in it, like, um, Chad Michael Murray, Paris Hilton, uh, Jared Padalecki. Um, I mean, just a lot. And the sets are gorgeous. Just like 13 ghosts, the sets kind of have their own life form too. Um, I think it's just a good film all around, and I do want to see it. And Paris Hilton's death scene is probably one of the best ones yes. in cinema, I think. Yeah. The other thing that's terrifying is Jared Padalecki with the wax. That, like, got under my skin for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny because it, both him and... Um, Jensen? Jensen Ackles from... Supernatural, they are in Supernatural together, but they were both in horror remakes that came out around the same time. So, obviously, Jerry Padalecki did House of Wax, but Jensen Ackle did My Bloody Valentine, which is a remake of the really great 1980s version. And I think this My Bloody Valentine also stands tall with that other version for sure. Talking about My Bloody Valentine. So, like we said... My Bloody Valentine is a remake of the 1980s version, which happens to be the 1980s version is one of my favorite. Absolutely. Like, um, you had said something about it, but the fact that it revolves around a romantic holiday and it's so brutal is kind of polarizing. Yeah, it's like the parallels between like this very love lovey-dovey romantic holiday and then like brutal murders having to do with that like even when they with what does it say on the wall they like you know what i'm talking about they, yeah like it, it's it like says. and then you know at some point I think, oh it says be my valentine, valentine or something yeah so this was a good remake i think that this is probably one of the very few successful um uses of the 3d technology they kind of had fun with it but not in a like a crazy way um i remember seeing this in 3d and it was kind of interesting um having the things pop out at you um that sounded really wrong i apologize about that right now that was not meant to be a joke uh but it's something about that being trying to be such an innocent holiday like filled with love and feeling that gets perverted in a way that makes it a good movie. And I think that um, Jensen Ackles does a really good job. Um, 
playing the titular character. Um, there are a lot of friendly faces in there. And I think it's just all around fun. That kind of segues into our next movie, which is One of Stranger Calls. Because we're talking about the 2000s. We both were of babysitting age at that time. And I had never seen the original um, When a Stranger Calls until my, until a couple weeks ago. And the, this version is a lot different than the actual regular version. Um, this version is, it draws it out more. It, in the original version with Carol Kane, in, spoiler alert, in the first 30 minutes, the kids die. Like, it's a very jarring way to start the movie. In this film, it's kind of all about her getting terrorized and going through this. And it takes over the whole movie. And it isn't until halfway in the movie that she realizes that he's in the house. I remember being in a movie theater. Um, we went to actually go see it together, I think. Didn't we? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I remember seeing it in the movie theater and the famous line, get out of the house, he's in the house. And I'm like, he's in the house? What? And it just invoked this terror that kind of sticks with you. Um, it's something about being terrorized over the phone that just absolutely creeps you out. And it was so relatable at the time because we're like, you know, preteen teenage girls at this time and we're babysitting. I would babysit most of the time because I had so many younger siblings and cousins. So it was really effective in that way. Yeah. Um, and terrorizing phone calls, you know, we got a Black Christmas reboot around this time. I had not seen the reboot until recently and you told me to watch it and I'm a little traumatized by it, to be honest. Sorry. Um... I absolutely love the original Black Christmas and this Black Christmas was just, if it wasn't following up the iconic movie, I think I would have a better time with it. But the fact that it just kind of, all the characters, even though they were really good actresses, it all just kind of felt flat. I really like the film. I appreciate it for what it is. Right. I like the like fucked upness of it. Yeah. I, forked upness. Forked. <laughs> forked. Forked. The forked upness of the movie, I, definitely, that's what it has going for it. It's got a lot of gore, and it's just, it's kind of nasty. I like the cookie cutters. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Speaking of nasty, we have Hannibal Rising coming in hot, and um, Hannibal Rising is a good movie, but do I think it should be connected to Hannibal? No, and I'm going to give you the reasons why. Just as we were talking about Hannibal, we got joined by a special guest, our Horrorcraft mascot and overall Hellcat, Baby. Um, you don't put Baby in the corner. Baby is worried at Brittany's feet right now, <laughs> silently judging us because, as always, and as you say, we are... He thinks we're peasants, that yeah. we need to bow down to his feet, but joke's on you, you're at my feet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, so if you have not seen our resident Hellcat baby, you can go on our Instagram at Horrorcraft Community and see him and all of his shenanigans as we film because we can't do anything without him knowing about it. 
So we were talking about Hannibal and how do you feel about Hannibal as a character? Overall. Overall. Anthony, it's Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like this Hannibal Rising because it does go back. It's like, this is why he's fucked up. Yeah, I, I don't think it works as a whole. Um, I definitely don't like it incongruent with the other movies, but I think as a standalone, I think it's a good one. I think it just takes away the effectiveness of um, Anthony Hopkins' character a lot, but as the movie, I think it's great. Like, it's terrifying. First of all, being a part of World War Two and having that anyways is just terif- a terrifying background. But then on top of it, being held captive with you and your sibling and then your sibling ends up getting eaten. That's kind of messed up. And then you're, you know, you're trying to live with the trauma and everything. And I mean, shit just goes sideways for him. And you, you do feel for him in an aspect, but then you're like, he's a cannibal. Yeah. I mean, there's no justification for doing that kind of crap. No, but I do think it definitely shines some light on this character. I do like it. I just don't think it fits in with the reiterations of Can- of Hannibal Lecter um, because as most people don't know, Hannibal Lecter, his first time out the gate was played by Brian Cox and then notoriously after through Silence of the Lambs through Hannibal Rising was Anthony Hopkins. And then we have the Mad Matt Michelson uh, Hannibal TV show. But I just, I like this as a film. I just don't think it fits. Um, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th has a lot of drama right now. Um, If you have not been aware of the drama, uh, essentially this was the last film we'll probably get for a while because both of the people um, attached to this film are kind of, um, they're suing each other. There's no other way to say that. They're suing each other because one of them owns Friday the 13th, the original, like the name because of the the movie. And then the other person owns Jason. So it's kind of hard to have those two together. So this was the last remake we got for a while. Hopefully they can resolve their drama and we can get some new Jason. But it kind of sucks because this was a good a solid reiteration of Jason I mean it's not the most it's not going to be a Oscar winning horror but I do think Friday the 13th this version is good it has another reappearance on this list from Jared Padalecki and it goes into basically trying to do a little bit of going back to the first movie where, well, in the second and into the third, where, you know, the final girls are playing the character of Miss Voorhees and kind of reaching Jason that way. Um, So I think they're really good. I love Ginny. That's... Yes. She's probably one of my favorite final girls. Yes. Um, The remakes that don't stick the landing 
for our round out is The Fog and Prom Night. The Fog is such an iconic movie. I just don't feel like there was any way that they were going to make that happen regardless of Tom uh, Welling being in it and Prom Night. I I don't like to diss movies, but I wasn't, wasn't into it. Yeah. So that is our... Off of remakes and onto the mashups that we got into the 2000s, which we got two movies featuring four great movie giants going at each other. Um, I think these films were trying to kind of recreate, recreate like the Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein almost, but in a different way. Um, so the first probably more well-known and more people get disappointed about is Freddy versus Jason. Um, Freddy versus Jason. How do we feel about that? I love that movie. I think it's iconic, honestly. Like, what more could you want? I do think it's iconic. I do think that people are harsher on it than they think because of the fact that AVP came out around the same time and AVP maybe is a little bit stronger than uh, Freddy vs. Jason. But Freddy vs. Jason is a good time. I wish... Um, I don't know what I want from Freddy vs. Jason, to be honest. I think I just want a little bit more of them. I feel like they, they were so focused on making the story work that it kind of was just a little shaky. I feel like we need a deeper story and maybe that would be better. But I was still upset that they didn't make a second one. Um, but I do like Freddy and Jason being put up against each other because I do think they're both unkillable in different ways. Like Jason keeps going on. Like he's the Energizer buddy going on and on and on and on and on. I mean, he even went to space. But we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany said we don't talk about that. Um, but Freddy, I mean, Freddy's my man. Yeah, I, I prefer Freddy. Yeah, I I prefer Freddy. Something about Freddy, I think maybe that's why I don't like this movie as much, is maybe I wish they would have put him up against a character that also had a little bit more humor, like Freddy. Um, so like Chucky. Yeah. Like, <laughs> could you imagine Freddie and Chucky going at each other? They just roast each other. Yeah. <laughs> but I do like this. Um, I'm an aliens person. I, I love the alien movies. I like the Xenomorph. Um, I've seen the Predator movies, but I, for some reason, I thought that this was going to be the film that just didn't do it. And Freddy versus Jason was just going to be everything. And for me, I feel like ABP ends up being a little bit stronger. Just purely for the fact that it's kind of what I wanted from Freddy versus Jason. Where the Xenomorph and the Predator are more evened out together. They kind of complement each other in weird ways. Um, but they're so strong and I like the fact that Lance Hendrickson got brought back in. Um, that was smart because I do feel like he can be brought back a thousand times because, I mean, he was a clone. How many different iterations? And he was this. And 
Lance Hendrickson, if you're listening, which I don't ever think he would, but adopt me. <laughs> um, in my mind, that's who my horror father was um, because he was in so many good movies. But I like the fact that they brought him back and um, the effects in it were just great. And, you know, it kind of brings back to Aliens where you see the pod. Like, when they go in and they see the pods, but on a bigger scale, and it's, like, this crazy thing. Um, the second version isn't... I still think it's a good time, but I, I like the original Alien vs. Predator. It's one of those kind of comfort movies where if it's on, I'll watch it all the time. Same way with Freddy vs. Jason. I think it's just comforting seeing both of them on screen together. Um, but Freddy is kind of a little mother forker to jason yeah he um, kind of torments his ass yeah i kind of hope that um if they did make a uh sequel or a remake that they would kind of let jason hand him his booty on a plate a little bit more he did carry his head though. i know that was iconic but um what do you think about horror giants being put together i think that's a very interesting concept honestly i'm for it for it, I think having two great characters together would be great. I'd be interested to see other ones. Like, I don't know who would be good matched up together, but... That's where it kind of comes to, like, you don't yeah. know how it would kind of go into the other one. Because, say, for Chucky, for instance, who who's, who's going to compete with Chucky? Like, and, like, some people were saying Candyman in it. I think Candyman should be put in that. Candyman's his own character. No. With his own story. And I don't feel like we need to piggyback him on other people. No. Um, but I do think there would be good characters. But see, people want someone together with Michael Myers. But that doesn't fit Michael Myers' story. The only person whose story that fits with is Freddy and Jason. At Freddy, you would need someone else. But like, who, who's Freddy going to take on? The killer clowns. Chucky. <laughs> Chucky hilarious. killer clowns. So I think that's the rub when it comes to horror. You know what would be funny though? Now that Psycho Gorman's out. If Psycho Gorman took on Freddy. That would be funny. Because um, they both have the humor. But um, you know. I, I guess that's the rub when you get movies that already have their own unique footprint to it. Their own vibe. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happens with putting horror titans together is it's hard to match those up at certain points in time. Because it won't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. So talking about movies that had their own vibes, there was a lot of movies in the 2000s that did kind of have their own style, their own sense, and put you in a, a different perspective. And a lot of those are ones we're going to talk about because there were a lot of underrated ones. Um, the one that you commented on is um, Repo, the genetic opera. That movie is just like in a whole new... Yeah, It's so many different genres packed into one movie. And I think it's a great movie. It's so much fun. It's like a horror musical slash... Sci-fi almost. Slash cult... Like, it's like if somebody took a bunch of different movies and took The Crow 
and mass like it has that darkness quality that the crow did where it had like that world that was gritty that's what i'm talking about and then mashed a bunch of other things in it and add music to it and said hey i need you guys to sing um it's great and the fact that they alexa vega is the one of the characters right like the main shiloh, the main, shiloh yeah the main character that's a whole new thing so switching gears from a gritty film to an even grittier, gorier film, we saw a remake of Silent Hill in, well, technically not a remake, but a, a vision. An adaptation. An adaptation. Of, I mean, it, there's some elements that are in the game, but it's kind of, it's it's in its own little world. Yeah, people have feelings that, again, was our Hellcat there for a minute. Um, he doesn't know what he's doing with his life. But... Um, it kind of had its own vision. And I think people got upset because of the fact that it's tied to the game. But as far as video adaptations, video game adaptations come, I think it's one of the more solid because that's a hard world to adapt is that because you have like, um, all the characters that go with it. And I mean, that was a brutal movie. I remember watching it, and this is before I really got my, like, horror stomach. And there were a lot of scenes, like, where he rips her skin off and stuff mm -hmm. that just absolutely horrified me. In a good way, though. And I love how they put, like, the gray, the gray children scene. They'll, well, yeah. They, caught, they catch, like, kind of like a fire. Yeah. That, yeah, that was pretty great. Um... The sequel is crazy compared to that. Yeah. The sequel kind of is just like, we're going to forget everything and chuck this all out the window. Um, I don't think it's a horrible... I don't think it's a horrible sequel, but I, I do prefer the original Yeah, more. So, um, Wes Craven came out with a lot of movies, you know, with Freddy and Nightmare on Elm Street. But then in the 2000s, he did a vampire flick. That had Gerard Butler um, before he became famous in uh, 300 and Food Movie Opera. Wes Craven would do a vampire movie. Um, I feel like the thing about Wes Craven, you never knew what he was going to do. And whatever he did, he did well. And he took it to like a whole new outlook. Yeah. And, you know, I think he was good at picking Gerard Butler before Gerard Butler um got ascended into like fandom. He had a knack for that if you think about yeah. it. Like Johnny yeah. Depp. Yeah, he did, definitely. Um but Gerard Butler is really um I don't know if it's it's Gerald or um Gerard. I think Gerald. But he um he did a really good Dracula. And although the movie might not have its most solid points, I like the fact that he was like, okay, you think you know the story of Dracula, but we're going to take it back even past when Stoker did it and we're going to go biblical on you. Because I, I don't think I would have ever thought in my mind that, I mean, you see a lot of religious subtext in Dracula because you know he rebukes God and everything but 
I mean, taking it back to Judas Iscariot, like, that's crazy. That is crazy. And then having an attraction for Judas Iscariot as that character. Um, that was a very confusing time for me. That's probably, again, between Lost Boys and him, I probably, um, my taste for men kind of were just spoiled after that. Because I'm like, they're not, if they're not like that, I don't want it. But, um... I think it was really good. And, you know, the in the 2000s, we saw another good adaptation of Dracula, but in Van Helsing. Yeah, that movie was pretty great. I think it had a lot of great scenes. Yeah, and it kind of hopped on with Underworld at that time, which we didn't include Underworld because I don't think Underworld is underrated. I think people are die hard fans for underworld mm -hmm. but i think van helsing tried to do that they tried to take you know the universal monsters and make them into uh horror action kind of like how the mummy did in the 90s yeah um but van helsing i mean they had some pretty interesting effects like the the like when the brides would change mm -hmm. and they would turn into like the big bats I, I definitely appreciated that. And Hugh Jackman is very underrated as Van Helsing. I think he could have gone on and done other movies in that context. But it has a lot of heart to it. And you do kind of sympathize with some of the things that he went through in that film. Um, but, and the scenery is gorgeous. I mean, you have Romania with the big castles and just beautiful scenery. It's a mood. It's a mood. And, you know, when you're thinking of moods in big houses, you cannot not think of Rose Red. That movie is a ride. I think it's amazing. Yes. A lot of people forget about it because it's like a made-for-TV series. It's a, yeah, it's a mini-series. But Rose Red, I mean, a house that never stops. I. It's like you take The Shining and then you take Burnt Offerings and then... There's rose red, like, right in the middle of it, I feel like. Yes, it is. It's very much like what Jack Torrance kind of felt in Rose Red is more visualized. I mean, in The Shining, you see more visualized um, yeah. in the movie. So I definitely think that that's a whole mood. Um, you know, you have the glamorousness of Rose Red and then a grittiness. And when you're talking gritty... Um, gritty werewolves. You're talking about dog soldiers. Dog soldiers is one of those movies that you know you saw on sci-fi. Um, and it just gets you every time. A bunch of soldiers being stuck and they're being surrounded by werewolves and it just turns into like a whole thing. And you expect it to be terrible, but it ends up being excellent. Because they're just like, they're not buying it. I think it's like a a bullshit story and then they're like getting the fucking shit kicked out of them. I mean the forking. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we forked it up. Uh, we're explicit. I'm sorry. Um, but we'll, we'll try to watch what it about. I mean, you see it in dog soldiers, but what was it about certain movies where they're just not buying it? Like a beloved favorite of the underrated 2000s is definitely Ghost Ship. And Ghost Ship, like half the movie, they're just not buying it. Things are going on. I mean, they should realize it pretty clearly 
and they just don't until it's like slamming them right in the face and they're already pretty forked. They're like knee deep in that SH. Mm-hmm. Knee deep in it. Um, Ghost ship. We've talked about this before on the podcast, but I had a friend who had a very visceral reaction during a sleepover to Ghost Ship. But Ghost Ship arguably has one of the most eye-catching, just jaw-dropping opening scenes. Like, you talk about a movie starting with a bang. Like, they kill tons of people in the first 15 minutes and then slide into, oh, yep, we're trying to shave a ship. It packs a punch, or like right off the bat. And the kills are brutal, brutal. I remember the singer, um, when they go to the flashback, her getting a hook in her face. Yeah, that and that was pretty. Her hair looks good though. I mean, you gotta give it up for makeup, and you know, hair people. They made sure that even if she was hanging from a hook, she was looking great doing it. So, you got to give it up for them. Uh, ghost ship? We had a very ghosty vibe in the 2000s, too. Because we have ghost ship, but then we also have, like, Dead Silence, Darkness Falls, Stay Alive, The Others. The- Even 13 Ghosts goes back with the ghost yes. ship. They're very similar. Yeah, they're almost companion films. Mm-hmm. I've heard that before. But I stay alive is one that I don't think it's talked about a lot. A lot of people don't like it, and I think it kind of takes it to a different level with, like, the gaming and all that, and it was very relevant at the time. I think it kind of piggybacked almost off of the vibe of The Ring. Um, yeah. Where it was the haunted um, object, you know, it was the haunted thing. It's almost like that, you know, feeling of the ghost in the box um, and in this case, it's Countess Elizabeth Bathory and you have, you know, this whole scene setting up and, you know, Stay Alive did have a lot of like deep scenery to it. And so did Dead Silence. Dead Silence with Mary Shaw. And they're all like urban legends. Yeah, they they kind of, um, the way that Candyman did, they kind of changed the game where... <laughs> Hey, Mom. Oh, yeah. My son came in as we were talking about urban legends. Um, I guess he just felt inspired to come say hi to everyone. So we're going to leave that little bit in because that's just who Brayden is. That's who we are. We're mothers. Yes. Mothers. I'm a mother. Um, Mother Forker. Mother Forker. Get away from her, you... Motherforker. <laughs> um, bikini bottom. Get away from her, you bikini bottom. Ew. <laughs> okay, so we were talking about kind of how, like, these films, like, in reference to Dead Silence, um, kind of had their own mythology to them. So, Dead Silence, we see Mary Shaw, Darkness Falls, we have the Tooth, Tooth Fairy... Fairy. I forget the woman's name. I can't remember but, right now. It's been a while. But, you know, they had this mythology. Mary Shaw, she had no children, only dolls. Um, Dead Silence, if anybody doesn't know this, um, 
that's the movie that Lee Wynell and James Wan did after Saw. Mm-hmm. That's why they did not return for Saw. Because Saul, nobody thought Saul was going to take off. They did so much with that. We're very, good job. Yes, good job. And there's even a cameo from Billy mm-hmm. in Dead Silence. Yeah, there is. I, I forget about that a lot. But, th- I mean, the practical effects that they did in Dead Silence are crazy. Like, the actual sets, like, that, that set piece that was the theater Mm -hmm. and had all the dolls like individually placed like you know you were talking in a previous week about how with Chucky you know you turn around all the dolls Mm -hmm. this I mean they have the dolls all turn at the same time and I was foreshadowing (laughs) yeah um but yeah I mean it's just it's a crazy concept and I think the twist a lot of people underrate the twist but the twist is crazy it's freaking good yeah it's forking good it's forking good um darkness falls is kind of the same way a lot of people forget about it but darkness falls you know it piggybacks off of a real thing which is losing your last baby tooth and thinking about like uh you know body horror like teeth in general are something that you 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 know you can be very sensitive about and the fact that somebody might come after you after you've had a baby tooth gone, like, that's crazy. Because going into adulthood's already scary enough. Right. Like, you're already kind of amping yourself up. But then that on top of it and the effects they did with, like, the sound and making her, like, the witch and everything. Yes. Like, that, that was just absolutely terrifying. And, like, how she kind of just, like, the darkness kind of morphs in. She morphs into, like, who she is from the darkness um, very effective. The like beginning scenes are really smack you in the face with their little screech and everything. It's intense. Yes. It's a really intense scene. Yes. Um, and you know, speaking of intense, one of the best, probably in Nicole Kidman performances, is from The Others. And The Others is very haunting. Like, the how do you even describe the ride that is the others? You think that you're on this one path the whole entire time. And then bam, you get smacked right into the fact that like, this has been a whole entire movie that the whole time, when you go back rewatching that movie after having the knowledge of the twist ending, it really changes your perspective about a lot of what they did. So it's an, I feel like it's one of those movies that's enjoyable multiple watches. I would really love to go back to the first time I saw that because I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I don't think you can get a better time stamp than the first time that you found out that that was what it was. It's kind of like one of those sleep camp, sleepaway camp moments where yeah, for sure. you really get just kind of knocked... In the socks. I feel like Identity was kind of one of those movies that did that. um, Where it pretty much came out of nowhere. And a lot of people forget about it. But the fact that they pulled off the concept that they did is absolutely terrifying. It's effective when you can pull off such a twist like the others. But then, like I was saying with Identity. Identity, you... um, 
you don't know what's going on the whole entire movie until the last bit. And then it changes your perspective. So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Identity, uh, disregard this next part that I'm about to say. But in Identity, you have where the, you know, the scenario where you think these people are getting picked off by a killer. It's really this person's subconscious and it's his different personalities that are getting killed off one at a time and bringing him back to reality. Um, and that's horrifying. The fact that they even pulled that off back then um, is absolutely insane. I feel like it doesn't get enough acknowledgement for doing that like the others did. It kind of is like almost an American Psycho Yes, it. I feel vibe. like if American Psycho and the others had a baby, that would be identity. Because you have this, it's kind of chaotic all over. And you have all these really big names at the time. I mean, think about John Cusack. You had a lot of good 90s actors in that movie. And you just, it, with anything that you're being thought about in that episode, like episode, in that movie, you're never thinking this is in somebody's mind. You're always thinking this is something that's going on. Um, it's a very real horror um, and that's kind of real horror that kind of takes place in a setting you don't think about is like the ones, you know, that like back alley approach that like the person getting murdered in the back alley as you're walking past it. You have no idea what's going on. And, you know, Midnight Meat Train with Vinnie Jones and Bradley Cooper, and that's before Bradley Cooper became Bradley Cooper, um, it kind of had that. You had Vinnie Jones being this, like, he just looked like a normal, you know, well, I mean, as normal as Vinnie Jones could look. Vinnie Jones is pretty, like, you know, he's pretty recognizable. But um, this normal everyday person, and here in this train, he's committing the worst, awful, horrific murders possible, and nobody knows about it. Until and someone sticks their nose where it doesn't belong. belong and that's what happens with Bradley Cooper and it's so visceral. Like, I think that's the biggest point about it is it just, it goes for your throat, which is the same way that wrong. I wouldn't even say maybe that they're the same qualifications, but like wrong turns kind of the same way wrong turn. You know, you get that where, Oh, they're starting off. This is what what's happening. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're in the middle of it. And I think it's, it's, super different for you and I because Hocking Hills is where Wrong Turn was filmed. Both the new one and the old one. Oh, really? I didn't know the old one was. That's yeah. cool. Um, but the old one was filmed there. And, you know, for us being in Ohio, Hocking Hills is like a vast area, like a very dense area. So to think that you could, you know, get lost in there and there's something behind there... I think that's a very real fear. I kind of had a panic attack moment with that, even in my own personal life, because Jim and I were coming back from Cincinnati one time, and it took us into, like, the off-roads of, like, Amish country, and we were on this very dirt road in the middle of nowhere, knew nothing. I'm thinking to myself, as a horror fan, like, what happened if, like, something happened right now? I would be screwed. 
Another thing, though, with Hawking Hills, it's like a place where people get married. So it's kind of funny. Like, a lot of people get married. They're just so beautiful. Hawking Hills, you know, you get married. People have vacations there. They go camping. And then you have in the splat middle of this where we're supposed to believe that a bunch of cannibals are just chilling out. And, you know, they make us believe it. Now, every movie after the first one, I will disavow. Wrong turn, you're nasty. Like, after the first one, they got into so much, like, they made Black Christmas, the 2006 one version, look like Bambi. I'm for it. You don't like that kind of stuff, typically. I'm for it. I mean, I'm okay with it, but just the, like, we could have just stopped at one. I'm kind of. Is a very low budget movie too. I mean, it, it seems that way, but um, in the two thousands, we had probably the most infamous low budget movie of all time, which is the movie that started Blumhouse, which is Paranormal Activity, and they made that on a shoestring budget and made millions, if not billions, and that's what started. Jason Blum doing Blumhouse is that movie. So I love what Paranormal Activity did. I liked my experience the first time I watched Paranormal Activity because it's so different. And I like how they use the effects and I respect it. But now as a fan, I'm not necessarily huge on them. Um, They're all right. I think they're good for the first watch. I don't hate the films, but I didn't necessarily like them. But I can respect what they did with yeah. the box office, with everything they grossed. All of that is very admirable and, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's very inspiring. Yeah. And I think you definitely have to give it up to them for that because of the fact that they made that on such... they. I mean, they just kind of shot for the sky and it took off and... I remember having to even go to a specialty theater because, like, where we're at, it wasn't around here. And we had to go all the way up to Avon to see it. And being in that packed screening, it was, like, the tension is palpable because you didn't know what you were really getting into. Um, But that also being said, I think Mika is one of the worst characters ever. Like... That whole entire movie can be avoided by him just leaving it alone at the point that his girlfriend tells him to stop. But instead, he keeps going. And we, I mean, good for him. But also, no. I think where it missed for me is I'm not big on found footage. There's a few I like. It's not my favorite. Found footage can either be done really great or really not so great. I think it's one of those where you either hit it right on the nail or you miss it by a mile. I don't, I don't think there are very many in between. So I, I respect it. I do think it does a good job at maybe like dissecting their relationship because you see their relationship is like fall, like falling apart. And I think anytime you add ghosted to that, it's just going to be a, a good time relationships in horror are always crazy. Take, for instance, Valentine. Valentine is one that kind of people remember briefly, but it's another Valentine, obviously themed horror, where 
it had a slasher and you know it had a lot of stars in it it had david boreanaz and um denise richards tara reed um it had a lot i i mean it's a it's a good film but it kind of makes you wonder like how we dissect these films apart like the the with the relationships that are in you see in horror um i think that's the part that makes it great because the a lot of the characters that are in valentine are very imperfect and you get to see that and then you add the fact that this character of love cupid is now this crazy slasher who's going around killing people in hot tubs. I remember a lot of hot tubs in Valentine. Yeah, it was kind of like My Bloody Valentine with that. And then it gave me a little bit of, like, the original Prom Night vibes yes. as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it's kind of like a, if you took the good elements of both of those, it would cross over. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does have some interesting female characters into it, so... We always can stand when that happens. Because, um, you know, the 2000s were a big time for women in horror. We had some pretty transcendent films like The Descent, Ginger Snaps, P2. Jennifer's Body. Jennifer's Body is a big one. Um, a lot of these kind of talked about issues that, you know, teens like us kind of were going through at that time. And very much put them in the space of horror but also kind of gave you a comfort zone where you could experience these things thing with ginger snaps was it was relatable because you know we're teen girls and the curse you know getting your period and then the curse turning into a freaking werewolf I mean, because you can feel like you're turning into a werewolf she felt like she was turning into a monster because of her hormones I mean, I get that. I, I've had, you know, women issues my whole... I mean, you, you can relate to that too. And you do feel cursed in some way because you have this situation going on where people are um, kind of... You're awkward. You're awkward. You don't know how to feel about your own body, your own essence of who you are. And then... You have to deal with people on a daily basis going to school on top of that. And when you're hormonal, people are not so forgiving. And it kind of like is very intersecting with a werewolf and then like the changes with puberty and then werewolves and all of that. It's very, you know, it connects, I feel like. Yeah. And it kind of made being a werewolf relatable. Yeah. In such an interesting way. Like who would have thought having your period would, you know, go together with being a werewolf. Right. The curse. The curse. The curse. So, you know, Jennifer's body reminds me a lot of Ginger Snaps in ways because Jennifer is kind of that friend that you have that's kind of different than you. But... You know, their relationship is very interesting in the beginning because she, you know, Amanda Seyfried's character thinks that her and Jennifer have this really great friendship and you see that. But then you start to get the feeling that Jennifer kind of walks all over her at the same time. And it's a kind of a double entendre in friendships because 
we have those friendships where we think we're the best of friends, but sometimes those can be harmful friendships too. And imagine, you know, one of the people that you feel like you know best in the world becoming something that's just utterly chaotic. And that goes a lot with ginger snaps because almost, um, what's her name? Needy and then Bridget and then um, Ginger and Jennifer are a lot alike in that sense. Yeah, definitely. And it, it definitely goes into that friendship where, and sisterhood for, and ginger snap, where they feel like the other is jealous of the other person and you get this kind of breakdown in their relationship and then it's how do we go on from there and like in ginger snaps you know the sister she kind of commits to helping her almost to a fault to a point and with jennifer's body needy kind of sees this person that she's been friends with all the time even in their fight think about their fight scene where they're going at each other not only physically but like viscerally assaulting each other with words and then you get um you get to the point where she kills her she has to make the choice to kill her so I do think they're alike in some ways and then they're different in others um but I think they're a good example of maybe how being a teenager during that time was we do see examples of maybe womanhood though in that time period as well like P2 P2 is a very prolific movie about following your guts. You know, from the very beginning, she thinks that this guy is a little weird, but she's like, oh, he's being nice to me. I'll just go ahead and pay attention to him. And here he's been obsessed with her the whole time and is like going after people for her. And she's just trying to get away. And, you know, she has to fight for her life and those scenes and it's crazy um she has to deal with all these undertones that are underneath it as well I mean like the she has a co-worker that was very indecent to her and she kind of tackles that as well so it's very interesting how you see that um in Jennifer's body too where Jennifer's body they kind of just think that she's this you know promiscuous she's this virginal queen and it backfires on them. Yeah. Which in P2, same thing. This guy doesn't, he thinks, oh, I'm going to get the better of her. And she gives him a ride, like a wild ride. Since we're a ri- wild ride and um, RIP to Blockbusters, we miss you. Yeah. But I mean, we kind of have streaming now. So it's like, but I, I, I'm a purist. I like the feeling of going into blockbusters and it was an event. Yeah. It was, yeah. Fun. It, was, it, was, it, was a, it was a time. <laughs> it was a time. Um, so what's your favorite 2000 horror? I have a lot, but ones that we didn't mention Eden Lake, that one takes you on a forking ride. It's a very, you know, right when you think you're kind of getting like to take a breath, it's like, Nope, we're going to suffocate you. and then i think like another one the loved ones the loved ones is another good one that's kind of similar in that respect but not really and then hatchet it's just fun slasher it has feels like it has some friday the 13th vibes but not exactly because hatchet is like a ramped up wrong turn right um not really kind of but not really but 
there's a lot of inspiration from, I mean, that's like with everything though. There's inspiration from all over the place. And Eden Lake, that's considered like extreme, extreme horror, isn't that? Yeah, I, I believe so. And it's almost like a home invasion, but they're not in a home. That's what it feels like to me. But like they're camping. Oh, okay. So it's not, but it has that home invasion vibe and they're being like kind of hunted. And the loved ones. How would you describe the loved ones? <laughs> Basically, this girl can't handle rejection, so she just takes this guy uh, captive. Dang. And because she uh, wants to go to, like, the dance with him or whatever, and he's like, no. And she's like, fuck you then. <laughs> I mean, fork, fork you, you then. Fork you. <laughs> fork. Fork. But Hatchet has a lot of great kills. It's a lot of fun. And all three of them are pretty good. I wouldn't say the other ones are, like, fun. They're a bit intense. Those are three of my favorite that I can think of right off the bat, which without going into our other themes. Yes, we have other ones that we'll be exploring in later weeks. Um, but yeah, those are good choices. What are yours? Mine. Um, so I don't know if you've heard of Mirrors. I'm a Keith or Sutherland fan. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Mirrors is basically what they touch upon with Candyman. But on a heightened sense, like it, it's a ride because Keith or Sutherland's character is kind of trying to get his redemption arc with like, you know, he's been through alcoholism and a not easy divorce. You kind of get that vibe and he's trying to piece his life back together and he gets this job at this, you know, old department store being a security guard. And then he gets put smack in the middle of this crazy thing where the, you know, your reflection can kill you and it's brutal in some sense. I remember the scene with his sister in the bathtub and it just was like, whoa. Same day with 30 days a night. 30 days a night. I think I've said this. I would probably say this 20 times differently in our podcast. I'm a big vampire person. I don't know why I am, but it's just like the inner outlier. I'm not like one of those that I'm like, I'm going to be a vampire. Blah. But, mm-hmm. no. I, <laughs> but I like a good vampire story. And 30 Days a Night was so uniquely different because it went from being like the, the Twilight or like the interview with the vampire type vampires and uh, like the Near Dark or the Lost Boys. These vampires are trying to kill you. They are going to get you and they are brutal. And I mean, the fact that it's a graphic novel and then that they, they formulated in the way they did. And Josh Hartnett, I don't feel like he gets enough credit for the horror movies that he does. Like him being in the faculty and this one and like them being in Petting Dreadful. I think he was in Puppet Man, one of the Puppet Master movies too. Yeah. And he's in Halloween, uh, Resurrection. Mm -hmm. So... I just, I like that. And Slither, something about Slither kind of invokes that like killer clowns vibe almost. Like I'm that, surprised this is on your list. <laughs> oh, oh, because it's horrifying. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I guess I'm glutton for punishment in that aspect, but it does give me serious killer clowns kind of vibes. And the fact of it's just... It's a wild ride. It's a mess. Nathan, it's gross. <laughs> it's gross. Nathan Fillion, I mean, he's just kind of everything in that. He's just one of those sheriffs that he's just the whole time he's like, I'm supposed to be doing what now? And just, it, it's hilarious. There is a fun wild ride. I've always 
been like a Stephen King fan. I love Christine. I love it. Um, I love some of his lesser known iterations like Silver Bullet, um, Thinner, Graveyard Shift. But um, The Mist is kind of a brutal one. I love it. But I feel like, it, again, it's a glutton for punishment kind of movie because I know it's going to be very brutal and very visceral. And the fact of Stephen King doesn't, I mean, there is gore, there is a lot of, but it's such a solid creature feature to me because of the fact that he's trying to make this point of the monsters aren't just outside, they're inside too. And he does that through Marsha Gay Harden, which... You know, she seems so nice. And then you take her and put her in this character where she turns into this just nasty person that starts kind of this cult mentality and um, hurting people into this like way of thinking. I, I just think there are so many deep themes. And then the ending. The ending's fucked. I mean, forked. <laughs> forked. Forked. They forked the ending. Um, No, I mean, the ending stayed true to what he was trying to go for it's just very it makes you realize that sometimes the choices you think are the best aren't always going to be the best yeah um and it, it's a very it's a hard movie it's a hard movie to watch because i i think you know for me i love the creature aspect of it the somewhat spider looking things kind of get me every time though kind of have to be like not thinking about it not thinking about it but um I have deep arachnophobia for anybody who doesn't know. Um, when you live in Ohio, I think it's kind of hard to not because we have wolf spiders. And you know what's crazy to me is like those spider things do kind of look like wolf spiders. So I, when I watched it, I'd be like, oh, they're coming to get me. They're taking me to the mist. I think too, at the end it shows like when people finally lose all hope. But you should like, you if you had that little strain of hope, you could have made it. Yeah. So, R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> um, but yeah, the 2000s, man, they were a time. I graduated in the 2000s and that was a ride. Um, but I think there were such a, a decent amount of horror and themes that I think we're trying to get picked up on. So, um, you know, you definitely see that more coming into the, you know, the fruits of the labor coming into the, you know, 2010s. That's when, you know, like how we were talking about paranormal activity, you see Blumhouse kind of being birthed into our culture and the juggernaut that they become between the, the Conjuring films to all the other horrors, movies that they do, you know, with Freaky, Happy Death Day, um, I mean, we could literally have an old, a whole episode where we talk about tons, like Get Out, all of those. But um, I, it's such a difference when you go through horror, I think, as a teen. Because so many things try to speak to you. And I think horror is something that can grab you, right? Yeah, for sure. So thanks for checking in with us on this episode. Um, it's an extra long one. So if you made it to this point, we appreciate it. Our, um, cat sidekick and our haunted doll decided to fork off. <laughs> so, um, until next time, this is Cassandra and Bubbles and we're telling you to stay spooky. Check us out on the interwebs. We'll be having our 
stuff there. Check out our TikToks, all the things that we have. And if you don't follow at the Horrorcraft community on Instagram, you should because we post a lot of behind the scenes things. And if you liked this episode, subscribe, follow us. We will be deep diving into some more decades and having some more super sized episodes. So until then, stay spooky. And thank you guys for the support. We really appreciate it. We have been overwhelmed by the support and we appreciate it because this is what we love to do. It is fun and we couldn't do it without you. So until next time, stay spooky. Bye. Bye.